Welcome to episode 73 of The Real Photo Show. My guest today is Sarah Blessner, and today the show is sponsored by the School of Visual Arts MFA Photo, Video, and Related Media Program chaired by Charles Traub. So let's start with the Facebook invite announcements. The first is from Carl Gunhouse and Transmitter Gallery. Uh, Transmitter presents Egregore by Gregory Kaplowitz. Uh, August 3rd to September 9th, which means the reception is tonight from 6 to 9 p.m. August 3rd. Uh, Transmitter Gallery is pleased to present the first solo exhibition in New York of San Francisco-based artist Gregory Kaplowitz. Kaplowitz sees his art practice as mirroring the occult concept of the egregore, a sort of psychic entity in which energy across time comes together that can be tapped into to draw upon accumulated power, knowledge, and wisdom. These works display Kaplowitz's flair for mixing cyanotype emulsion with elements of painting. Uh, And you can find that on Facebook if you search for Transmitter Gallery. The next event I was invited to is all in French. I believe it is a sixth annual photojournalism festival at different locations around the world. Uh, this one is La Cef, uh, Société des Auteurs des Arts Visuels et de l'Image Fille. So there. And I believe the reception date is September 6th in the evening. So in the future, if you would like to invite me to an event that is not in English, please provide me with an English translation because I am language illiterate otherwise. Thank you. So last on my invite list is the annual New York City Street Photography Collective member exhibition. And that will be at the Soho Photo Gallery in New York City. Opening reception on August 23rd from 6 to 10 p.m., Uh, Come hang, meet the photographers, buy some prints, and have a drink. Beer donated by the awesome folks at Six Point Brewery. And then they have the panel discussion listed as June 24th, but I think they mean August 24th. Anyway, you can find that on Facebook. Search for the New York City Street Photography Collective. So the last announcement is mine. The Ryan Casey Show is up at the JKC Gallery. Loss event will run from August 1st to September 7th, with a closing reception on September 6th from 5 to 7 p.m. and an artist talk. You can find more information at realphotoshow.com. And while I'm wearing the curator hat, let me say that I am in the middle of going through all of the great entries we received for the raw exhibition at the Noise Arts Garage. And of course, the juror's pick will be featured on the show. So that brings me to the last thing I want to say. There might be an extra week or two between this episode or the next episode. I have to wrap up all the little odds and ends of things I need to get done this summer before I head back to teaching. And I'll be taking a week off with the family to do a little uh, vacation. Also to check out the Noise Arts Garage space in Atlantic City. So it won't be too much of a break, but I can't guarantee that the next release will be 14 days like the releases normally are. All right, so my guest again is Sarah Blessner. Uh, We sat down at the School of Visual Arts. Uh, Let me read a little bit from her CV. Sarah Blessner is a documentary photographer based in New York City. Born in Minneapolis, Minnesota, she studied linguistics and youth development at North Central University. While in university, she worked as a photographer for the organization Healing Haiti, based in Port-au-Prince, covering events surrounding the 2010 earthquake. Upon graduation in 2012, she studied at the Bukvar Russian Academy in Minneapolis, concentrating on the Russian language. She is a recent graduate of the Visual Journalism and Documentary Practice Program at the International Center of Photography in New York. 
Her latest work revolves around youth movements and culture in Russia, Eastern Europe, and the United States. She was a recent recipient of the Alexia Foundation grant for her 2017 work in the United States and was also a 2017 fellow with Catchlight, working with Reveal from the Center for Investigative Reporting. She is one of the Anastasia Photo Gallery's emerging photographers. So we do actually get to all of that in this episode, but we also talk about how Sarah dropped out of school at an early age to pursue alternative forms of education, which included a year of flight school. She describes herself as very goal-driven, with a desire to get things done quickly, and that accounts for how much she has accomplished in a relatively short period of time. Sarah has an impressive list of awards, clients, publications, shows, lectures, all within the last three years. We talk about her work and how having it out in the world for others to interpret filled her with self-doubt at first, but then gave her a better understanding of how photography can create conversation. It also helps Sarah get a better sense of where she wants to go philosophically with future work. All right, well, let's get to it. Uh, Thanks for listening, and we'll talk soon. Because everyone feels relaxed, and so they just start sharing more things. Uh, it, I, it, I'm going to let it a little secret out. Uh, when I was recording, recording with Greg Miller, we actually went back and did um, just added some more stuff because we, you know there was there were uh, things that were said after the show, and I thought, oh wait, this should have been on the show. <laughs> so slash, actually, can you repeat this? And yes. Okay, so cool. we we went back and recorded at, like, some more. This happened to me at many interviews as well. <laughs> <laughs> really, like once we put everything away and stop recording, then we actually exactly. talk, which is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's mm-hmm. why I, I kind of normally, you know, I was running late today. Normally I would have everything set up and, and honestly the recorder going and we would just start talking. Sure. Yeah. But but Greg Miller is the reason why uh, you're here. Greg mm-hmm. Miller recommended you. You you said you had uh, Greg uh, at ICP as I an instructor. I haven't seen Greg in a long time. Uh-huh. Yeah, but I had him for a workshop. I think it's almost two and a half years ago now. I was a student at ICP and I met him there and he does a winter workshop for large format photography, oh, which yeah. I, I had never done prior and I still haven't done it since his class. I'm <laughs> so sorry, Greg. Um, oh, you mean you, you took the class, but you haven't shot any no. large since? <laughs> but I appreciate it differently after his class and it was during a very busy semester. So his class is actually like a very nice breath of fresh air and a good opportunity to, to kind of look at images differently and to slow down. So. I always remember this class or think of it very, very highly. Yeah, you have to slow down with 8 by 10 Yeah, you have to. <laughs> Did you ever watch that video of him recording, uh, photographing on the street, doing the, um, oh, it was uh, oh, it was for uh, the, his Unto Dust series. There's a video on his website which shows that he's, you know, the way he um, sets up with people and talks to people. Yeah, and he it, actually yeah. demonstrated to us one class too. Like we went outside of around course. ICP and the way he interacted with strangers was fascinating. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's very cool. So what brought you to ICP? I went to ICP to study photography. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, I, I only graduated two years ago, almost three years ago now. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty recently out of school. But prior to ICP, I'd never, ever studied photography. So I'm very new to everything. Right. You, but you, you got your start um, in Minnesota. Yeah, I'm yes. from the Midwest. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And and you didn't study photography. You no, were, you, you, no. You got a, a liberal arts degree? Yeah, program? I studied youth development and linguistics. Oh, okay. So not at all the same. No. Um, <laughs> Well, I mean, I was interested in photography growing up, but it was never anything more than a hobby. I really like literature and psychology and linguistics. I wanted to study language. So, yeah, it was never my career path. But once I, I began photographing more, I realized, you know, I could take maybe okay pictures, but I had no idea about narrative and any kind of, you know, long-term story development. So I thought ICP would be a great, a great match. I had mm. a friend who went there and he recommended me. Oh, okay. You studied linguistics and you mm -hmm. ended up studying Russian, right? Yes. Was yeah. that, that was later? Yeah, I studied youth development during university and then I went to a language school after I graduated and I studied Russian there. Mm. Why Russian? Um, I, I love Russian literature. Uh, my, my dad's side is Eastern European, so I kind of grew up with some influence. Uh, Minneapolis has a really large diaspora of Ukrainians and Russians. Mm. So a lot of my friends growing up were Ukrainian and I would read lots of different stories and um, short stories, long stories, classics. I think mostly the literature inspired me to study the language. And well, literature sorry. that you were... Russian you, literature. Right, that, that yeah. you had come across from home or from school or from... My grandpa. Oh, Yeah, okay. my grandpa loves like, Tolstoy and lots of classic authors and he kind of, he didn't force me to read it, but he was heavily influential. And I think from, yeah, reading this kind of literature, I wanted to to learn the actual language. And it's very beautiful. Like, I, I still, I love Russian. And the, but the, the program you took, um, that was linguistics and youth development? Youth development. Youth de I mean, do you see that as having a connection to the kind of photography you make? Yeah, it's the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think the camera makes not even a big difference in mm. what I'm doing. I mean, it's, it's the exact same kinds of questions I had in, in school that I have now in photography. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're directly related. Yeah. Did you start photographing before you went to ICP in any kind of serious way? Or is that really the start of it? No, I had been photographing for a long time. I mean, I did more commercial work in Minneapolis. I photographed my family a lot, my friends. I tried doing more personal work, but it was, it was still really not as obsessive as it is now. But I, I had been photographing, yeah, for many years. But I, I was still really new to it in that in a different sense. I mean, I had no idea. I didn't even know who Kadelka was, for example. Like, I had never studied any kind of right. actual visual, you know, literacy at all. Mm -hmm. So I was completely new to it. But I had, I had photographed for myself prior. Right. So there were no, there were no photographic sort of idols, mentors, or never. role models un until you go became more aware of who the photographers were. Right. Exactly. Right. And uh, so, what did your father do? My, da my dad's an engineer. Oh, okay. My is mom's still an engineer. Yep. Yep. Still working. Yeah, yeah, he is. What kind of engineering? He does mechanical. And your mom? A teacher. Oh, a public school? Or? Uh, private school yeah. in Minneapolis. Yeah, she does. She teaches in university and high schools, um, history, mm -hmm. and archaeology. But mm. both my parents are from Duluth. Uh huh. If you've seen Fargo, you sure. probably know about <laughs> it. Uh, and my grandparents—they all worked in the mining industry. Oh wow! So everyone's very, you know, much more classical careers and very straight logic oriented. I, I don't have any other artists in my entire family, even extended. There's one musician on my dad's side, and that's it. So kind of completely <laughs> different career paths. Do you have siblings? I do. I have a brother and a sister. Mm -hmm. Are you the youngest, oldest? I'm maybe? the youngest. Oh, yeah, okay. I'm definitely the youngest. And are they all in um, straight-laced jobs? <laughs> my brother's also an engineer, yes. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, and my sister is a, a therapist. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, then what, what brought you um, initially to the youth development degree? and linguistics. Those are, I think, maybe two different origins. For youth development, I was just really curious about, 
I think the larger questions in life, you know, why why am I here? What for? Why is, am I the way I am? Is it a psychology-based degree? It's psychology-based, yeah, correct. And I think as a teenager, I struggled a lot with my own identity, with my family. I'm very different than they are. They're incredibly religious and politically conservative, and I didn't really mesh with that once I came of age. So I think for me, having to really disassociate from what my family believes in or my you know greater surroundings around me, um, those kinds of questions you know, of what makes up who you are, how do you become something outside of your tribe or family, <clears throat> was very important questions for me to kind of answer as a teenager. So I think naturally I, I became really curious about um, these kinds of topics on a larger scale. So I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I had a lot of curiosity for the subject. Mm -hmm. um, and I graduated high school pretty early. So I, I went to college when I was 16 and began studying this. And it's kind of ironic to study youth development when you're a developing youth yourself. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I did a little reading, and I mentioned before, you, you did a, an interview on um, the St. Lucie website with Mark Alice. Mm -hmm. Durant. Durant, thanks. Yeah, correct. <laughs> uh, and, and you mentioned that did you did you drop out of school at some point and then come back to it to get an equivalency yeah. degree? <laughs> yeah, uh, I I dropped out of school when I was in eighth grade. Yeah, an eighth grade dropout. Eighth, I was an eighth grade dropout, but I I did online school instead. Right, but if, I I don't imagine you were the classic eighth grade dropout smoking yeah. and hanging out the Seven Eleven. No, <laughs> I was never that badass. No. Um, I, I really wanted to go to flight school when I was younger. Um, I wanted to be a pilot. That was like my dream and I wanted to work full time. I had a really hard time relating to my peers and I was in middle school, like I'm very introverted. Mm. And being the youngest, I had some, my older brother was a very problematic kind of child. I think my parents, by the time they had me, they're really exhausted of parenting. <laughs> so when I told them like, hey guys, I wanna leave school, it's not the right fit for me, I wanna do something different, they didn't object at all. Mm. They just said, okay, as long as you graduate high school at some point, hopefully uh -huh. before you're 18, um, we're fine with it. So I, yeah, I dropped out of school and I never went back to my high school. But when um, you said you were dropping out, what did you say your plan was? I told them I wanted to do alternative school. Like oh, I didn't okay. want to be homeschooled. I mean, mm -hmm. that's not an option. I wanted to try online school. Were like you I'm, in public schools at this point? Yeah, yeah, I was, yeah. Uh, and with online school, you can really do everything at your own pace. I mean, you can study whatever hours you want. You have to be very self-driven, and I, I was kind of that equivalent. So I told them I wanted to try doing online school and maybe give it like a year and see how it went. Uh, and if I was, you know, doing okay and keeping up with my grades and I could keep going. And they, didn't, they did not object. So I enrolled to online school. And the benefit of that is that, like I said, you can choose your own hours. You can be very yeah. independent. Um, but you can also graduate early or later as you want. Because you're working at your own pace. Yeah. Right. So if you have nothing to do and not many friends. <laughs> you're, you're an introvert. <laughs> and you're living right? at, at home, you know, being what, like 14 years old, you can kind of go fast. And so, if you made friends easier, you wouldn't have probably left right. <laughs> school. Right. <laughs> right exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I did online school and I went to flight school as well. So I started flight school when I was 15 and it was just private planes, small planes like Cessna's. It was very expensive, so I yes. think it's like, you know, I realized I can't have a career of having this be my, you know, my whole life. It's very expensive. But, you know, being that age, it was very freeing. I think just seeing the world from a different perspective, feeling that kind of freedom that only comes from being above ground was quite fascinating for me. Mm -hmm. And having just, you know, a hobby that was my own, I really enjoyed. How so, far did you get with it? 
Did you get I, a pilot's license? No, I never, I never did it. <laughs> I only was in the school for a year and a half. Okay. Um, and by that point I'd finished high school and I went on to other things. Do you ever think about going back? I do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, it I sounds like to. you loved it. Yeah. yeah. It was a lot of fun. It really was. And it could come in handy for your life now, I imagine. Yeah, right? I kind of regret not getting my license yeah. now. <laughs> if I could tell my 16-year-old self to, right. to finish, finish school. <laughs> but at least I finished high school. So You finished high school by 16, you said, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then you, that, you applied straight away to college after that? I spent some time traveling. I went to Europe and Asia for maybe around eight months. And from there, I applied to schools. Uh, my parents really encouraged me to not take time off between you know, high mm-hmm. school and college. Right. So I applied for a really small university in my hometown. And for two years, I had kind of an undecided major. I had no idea what I wanted to do. But yes, yeah, so I, went, I went straight away from high school to college and spent the next three years there. And you finished in three years? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so... <laughs> I was always in a hurry to yeah. get things just done with. Yeah, so I, I finished really quickly. Just taking a lot of classes Summer every classes, semester all, yeah. all year long. Yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and were you always, I guess, academically good? Uh, you know, yeah, did, did yeah. well academically? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I, I don't think it's really, in a sense, about being academically smart. I think it's more just being driven. You know, I mm-hmm. really wanted to, I'm very goal-oriented, and I really wanted to finish quickly. I didn't want to be stuck in like a long system and mm-hmm. draw things out. And right. Did did I read um, on that article again that when you did drop out, you you did travel abroad for a little bit? Yeah, I I did. Yeah, I mean my my mom's a teacher, mm-hmm. right? So growing up, she worked a lot in Haiti. So I, I grew up going back and forth many times. And I think also the reason I was interested in youth development was my mom. You know, she taught at schools. She helped develop curriculum for high schools all around Haiti. So oh, okay. I think seeing that encouraged me. But So what's the time between uh, getting your undergrad degree and then ICP? How much time was that in between? I went to ICP when I was 24. So it was a good f- four or five years mm-hmm. um, between those time periods. And what kind of work did you do in that time? Uh, photography, actually. Oh. So uh, when I was in college, I had a really good friend who was a, a photographer. Uh, and he just taught me the basics. And I worked freelance in Minneapolis. It's a lot easier to work there than in New York, obviously. I'm, really? Um, <laughs> but I mean, I did everything from commercial work to architecture to weddings, kind of, you know. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, nothing creatively stimulating, mm-hmm. um, but definitely enough to make a living. Yeah. So that's all I did. I mean, I never had a different career than photography. So you really had the, the bug right out of college. Yes. Yeah. I think what I liked about photography, though, was not really the images. It was more so the independence mm-hmm. and kind of catered to the lifestyle I was used to, you know, not having to go to a nine to five job yeah. or not having to be in, in a certain kind of career path. Not having a boss. Not having a boss, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. So I think right away I didn't understand photography. I just understood that it mm-hmm. it allowed you to be whatever you wanted to be, kind of. And you don't have any inhibitions placed on you for the most part. Hmm. So it, it offered that kind of a segue right from, um, you know, my childhood experience, my high school, uh, after school, kind of giving me the same path in a sense. So I think right away I was more interested in what it offered me than vice versa. Right. And, and then you also studied Russian in between that time, right? Studied language. Studied, yeah, linguistics. Yeah, linguistics. Yep. And I, I moved to Russia for... Russia and Eastern Europe for two years before I came to ICP. Mm-hmm. And I was photographing for some nonprofits there, studying the language, and trying to photograph my own project, which went terribly bad. What um, was that? I was working with youth in Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was photographing youth who had aged out of the foster care systems the, or the 
government-sponsored orphanages. Oh, wow. And uh, just realized, you know... That was your own project, mm -hmm. your own concept. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Yeah, but I realized I just had no idea how to construct any kind of narrative. I mean, taking single images, it didn't add up to anything. And um, I think that's when I began to study documentary work and to look at, you know, how visual literacy actually works and what it can be. And what I was creating was very stagnant. I mean, it wasn't going anywhere. So at that right. point, I'm like, if I really want to do this and, you know, not not only do commercial work and stuff that's not totally fulfilling, but if I want to, you know, do documentary work and to create some kind of storytelling, I have to study. I have to go back to school. And that's what led me to ICP. So your your first attempt at a, a sort of a serious longer term project was already socially minded in effect. Like yeah, it, correct. Yeah, right. Correct. And is, does any of that work survive in, in Toy Soldiers or Borodino? How do you pronounce it? Borodino, yeah. Borodino. I mean, I think so. I think it's similar concepts. Mm -hmm. um, of course, like I don't recognize myself in my earlier images, but I think conceptually the subjects I chose were very similar to what I would choose now. It's the same country, it's the same concepts. So I think it does exist, but it's it doesn't look the same to me. Yeah. Does that make sense? I oh, feel absolutely. like yeah, I, I don't yeah, yeah. I don't really recognize it yet, but mm -hmm. I, I can see myself the struggling in the process. The impulses were there early on, just yeah. not the craft, so to speak. Yeah, correct. Right? Mm -hmm. And and do you remember then um, once you realized that did you start sort of looking at other photographers at that point or did you immediately think I should go back to school or? No, at that point I just, I began to read and research. Mm -hmm. I think I, I studied a lot of photographers, you know, even ones that were just local to my hometown. I had only one good friend I met in Haiti that was a photographer, Brendan Hoffman. Like he's the one who inspired me to kind of go to ICP and start everything. But I, I studied his work, you know, almost religiously and of course, from there, I, I reached out to his networks mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. But yeah, I began to, to really look at those around me and what they were doing. But almost immediately, I kind of thought, okay, I need to go back and actually study because I knew I wanted to do it. But I was very, very nervous, of course. Like I thought I would be a complete outsider, like I felt normally. Oh. Or I thought, you know, I don't have any experience. You know, financially, I'm, I'm pretty independent, and I was very worried of going into an industry that was completely falling apart. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how are you going to make a living doing this, like, realistically? Yeah. Kind of felt like going back to flight school, like, okay, this could be a fun hobby, but how do you right. support yourself doing it? I had a lot of questions and doubts going into it. The benefit is ICP is only nine months, so you're not losing this much of your life if mm -hmm. you try it. So, yeah, in the end, I just kind of went on a whim, and I'm incredibly happy that I did. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, it's true. The, the industry, I think, in, in some ways is having a bounce back, right? I mean, mm -hmm. there's, I think there's a lot, there are a lot more independent outlets uh, than there used to be. It used to just be you worked for a large organization, you know, the AP, or back then UPI, or mm -hmm. a big newspaper, big magazine. National Geographic was everybody's dream, right? Right. And then... Uh, if I remember when I started teaching documentary photography, I teach at a community college. I took my students on a field trip to the only local paper left in Trenton, mm. the Times of Trenton. And I, and I had no idea what I was taking them into. It was really stupid. I should have <laughs> researched it. But I, I took them on this field trip because I, you know, the, the photo editor had been in contact with me. And he said, oh, yeah, you know, um, uh, you should come by and bring your students. And then I gave them this. He gave them this tour 
of a, an, a building that was three quarters empty. And it was, and this is where the printing presses used to be. And this is um, where 12 staffers used to inspiring. sit. And I was like, oh my God, what have I done? <laughs> right? <laughs> and That's even, so sad. <laughs> even when I used to bring my students to Getty Images, there was always this air of, well, you're never going to get a job here, right? Jesus. You're never going to find a work here. And it was, it's always been tough. But mm-hmm. I feel like now, now there are you know, networks, online networks and, and other networks of, of communities mm-hmm. where there's a lot more support. And maybe, uh, you know, um, you know, I don't, you know, obviously we just had some really bad news with the Daily News, Daily news laying off right. half its staff. Is that it right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But but there does seem to, there, there do seem to be other outlets now as well. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think, I mean, maybe the benefit of, because I'm so new to all of this, I didn't have any expectations. Mm-hmm. I mean, my whole experience at school was everyone telling me, like, you're entering this at the worst time. There's no <laughs> models in place. There's no jobs. Right. We're not even sure what to tell you in terms of how to get jobs. I mean, nothing exists anymore. And the advice I got was pretty much, you know, don't don't try to go a normal path. I mean, don't apply for an internship. Don't try to work your way up in local news. Like, it's kind of all not there anymore right um do the opposite i mean i had a teacher tell me my last day of icp go buy a one-way ticket somewhere and work on a project for yourself and then see what happens Mm -hmm. and that's exactly what i did and i think having that kind of influence where you don't really expect to fit into old molds i i'm really attracted to that naturally uh so for me i think i think your whole generation is. yeah i think so (laughs) i really do think so so maybe it's not so like completely tragic not in terms of what's happening in the media but mm-hmm. in terms of you know crafting this into a career i think there's other models to follow and there's ways to do it it's just a bit uncertain and terrifying it, i guess but right right a freelance work always is yeah yeah exactly yeah. uh but yeah that's that and that is kind of what i tell my students uh, that is what i tell my students don't look for that that long-term mm-hmm. job. It's not going to be there. Just try to figure out ways of supporting yourself. Do freelance work. Mm-hmm. And do portraiture. Do weddings. Do photograph children and dogs and everything else. And uh, on that note, um, what was your first sort of big assignment? Big assignment? Yeah. Uh, that was until much later. Mm-hmm. I mean, I started everything after ICP doing mostly personal work. Do you consider, you know, Beck and Us from Home, Toy Soldiers, Borodino, The Right to Fight, Republican National <sighs> Convention... Do you also consider that, like, was that work that you went out to do yourself? That was all non-commissioned, yeah. I mean, almost everything I've done has been me saying, I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. I hope someone's interested. If not, I'm still going to do it. None of that was commissioned. It's up until last year, I had nothing even, you know, financially really supported. The first work I have, which is the current work in the U.S., Beckon Us From Home, that was supported by a grant and funding. Oh, okay, right. Yeah, very happy for that. But everything else up until then has been just me kind of doing it on my own. Mm -hmm. But after ICP, I went back to Russia, to the place where I had tried to photograph prior, and began to work on a project and had no idea what would come of it. But that was kind of my first, not assignment, but I think self-driven project um, Mm -hmm. after graduating. And from there, I pitched that. And it's it's kind of what helped, you know, start my entire career in photography. Was that Borodino? Uh, The Toy Soldiers Project. Oh, the Toy Soldiers, right. Okay. But it was also kind of a... A terrible experience too it was a mixture it was uh-huh. very it was very freeing to you know actually not be studying and photographing and trying something so let, let's just describe it for the listeners sure <laughs> a little bit i mean uh, you photographed uh, young people youth uh, who are in military camps which almost like the a, a military version of a summer camp right in yeah so it's right. and a lot of it was it was all public so i mean i would mm-hmm. i would compare it to 
audience who's from the U.S. or from Europe to a cadet school or right. a JROTC, any kind of pre-military training. Mm-hmm. Some of it wasn't even military. It was more just, you know, patriotic education. Oh, okay. Um, Boy right. Scouts, something like this. But yeah, so it was along those lines. But I photographed kids in Russia who were training or being involved in these camps for around six months. As part of like a larger question in and of myself, looking at the ways in which we try to pass down religious ideology or um, nationalistic ideology to young kids, how that forms, if there's a difference between being patriotic and nationalistic, how we develop a relationship to statehood at a young age. I think I was very curious in all those questions. I wasn't aware of it at the time when I was photographing it. I think Mm -hmm. later on I realized what I was wrestling with and it's questions that I'm still pursuing here in the U.S. Yeah. But when I started this project, it was also during the U.S. elections. In 2016? Yeah. Yeah. So Russia was, I mean, all over the news, as it often is. But during that time period, it was especially so. So... What happened was I had a lot of pictures of, you know, Russian youth training with guns. A lot of pictures like this. Why is that? Because the kids were training with guns at the camps. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, being a really naive and young photographer, like, of course, I'm going to be drawn to the most visually aesthetic things I can or like the most shocking things. Uh-huh. Like that was a picture I loved right away. Like, wow, this is crazy. At the beginning, there wasn't a lot of balance, you know, with more nuanced subjects or um, the poetics were very much lost underneath the surface of the more uh, strong, stronger, quote unquote, images. Mm -hmm. And these are the ones that editors really, you know, latched onto right away. And when I published this work, I was like completely devastated because the way that the media and the public portrayed this was much more outward looking than intrinsic. Mm. Um, For example, it was, you know, wow, Russians are so nationalistic. Look at Putin's little youth army. This is insane. Yeah. And it was, you know, I think I didn't expect that. I thought it might be a little bit more inward looking too. like, let's talk about these issues mm-hmm. amongst our own society. Like, yeah. look what's happening in our own elections. Let's talk about xenophobia as a global concept, not just as, you know, the foreigner doing it. So this experience, well, you I d- think... You don't, you didn't feel necessarily necessarily like the foreigner, right? Making right. these pictures, right? right? You have no. a connection to Russian culture. And, Completely, right. but I also see the parallel. I mean, we have the same programs here in the States. So I think when I saw the publication and what was happening in terms of its reaction it generated, I thought to myself, you know, why, why is it always the outsider or the foreigner that's nationalistic, but if we do it, we're patriotic? I you know, f- I mean, that's, that's insane and very hypocritical. I see such a connection between that work and your Republican National Convention work. Right. I, especially when you're photographing the younger people mm-hmm. in the crowds. There's a, there is a, a nationalism, a patriotism, even a little sense of indoctrination, right, going Completely. on in, in both events. Completely. Yeah. yeah. And we live in such a militarized community mm-hmm. that, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, commonplace in our lives. We don't even think about it or question it. Uh, we have the exact same programs and we have way more kids involved here than in Russia, mm-hmm. which I think is very ironic. But, right. you know, when this happened, I, I think... I mean, you could call the Boy Scouts a slightly militaristic organization, You can, right? yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I think as a really, really new photographer, you know, seeing ways that your work can be interpreted was kind of shocking to me. And now I'm more okay with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, as a fan of literature, like the point of reading a book is to take away your own meaning. I mean, to have your own conclusions. But right away when I was photographing, I thought, here's what I want my audience to know. I want them to think about exactly this. And of course that doesn't happen. Like one image is just a picture. It can be used in so many different ways. And when it was used in ways that I felt were more you know, negative mm-hmm. or creating fear and propelling these kinds of stereotypes that I didn't want to do with my own work, 
it was like devastating. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, think the, I, I had a real big crisis of self right away. Right. I, mean, I think the unfortunate fallout of the campaign and the, and the connection to Russia is, is the negative portrayal of Russia in general. Like the yeah, big completely. enemy again. Completely. Right? And I think what a lot of people here don't realize is whatever you think of Putin here, he is wildly popular in mm-hmm. Russia. He really is. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, this isn't, this isn't just him. I mean, clearly there are problems with the way he runs elections and uh, people dying <laughs> around him. But yeah. he really is popular in mm-hmm. Russia. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so the those photos then, did they lead then to the next project as well, the Borodino project? That was the same time period. It was, okay. Yeah, I yeah. simultaneously photographed mm-hmm. them at, I think, the same camp even. Um, oh, so the yeah, Borodino takes place in a historical war camp, yes, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, I, I love portrait series. I haven't done one this past year, mm-hmm. um, but normally I try to always do it no matter what I'm photographing. If right. I'm at a protest, I'll try to do portraits simultaneously or long-term projects, I try to incorporate them. Mm. Um, but board, you know, I photographed and I was out of ideas. Uh-huh. Like I woke up one day thinking I can't just keep photographing the same <laughs> shit. Like I need something different. So it kind of came out of a state of being incredibly bored. But also I, I found this beautiful blue backdrop that I loved. And uh, it was it was also a way to connect to the kids differently. I think when I'm photographing, I, oft, I oftentimes disconnect and feel very much, you know, in the background or trying not to interfere. And portraiture work is completely the opposite. Mm-hmm. You're directly engaging and it's a whole different process. So for me, it was a good way to kind of backtrack and to reconnect with those around me too. And and that that project does have a very formal classical sense of portraiture. Right. There's a an incredible attention to to the faces, but also what people are wearing and the jewelry and all the adornments and mm-hmm. the, the sort of the the symbolism of of the clothing and the accoutrements that they mm-hmm. they wear along with it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, which is straight out of a sort of a, the 19th century idea of showing someone's status or class or other things right? right and and you i think you bring some of that to the republican national convention photos mm-hmm. as well yeah I, I hope so yeah <laughs> i mean it's funny because i i don't know if i view it that way i think for me i just i i can't do something if there's a thousand people doing it and i was mm-hmm. dreading going to the rnc because there's hundreds of photographers sure i'm not really good at spot news i mm-hmm. don't think that way I don't photograph that way so I had this idea of you know carrying around this backdrop having someone help me and I wasn't sure if it would even work you know if I could have people get out of their mindset during that crazy atmosphere and talk to me or people would even receive a series like that well I mean it's an odd place to do it so I had a lot of doubts going into it Uh, in some days it worked well some days it worked terribly but I'm I'm happy that I did things my own way in that sense were Um, people suspicious of you Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> of course. I mean, definitely, of course. Mm-hmm. People were wondering what I would do with the images, how I'd portray them, mm-hmm. what my motivations were. Of course, I think it's a very common question. Right. Do but you, yeah, very suspicious. Do you use model releases and all? or? I do for minors. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have to. All right. my work is, I think like 80% of my work is in minors. Yeah. So yes, <laughs> of course. In terms of um, photographing in Russia... Do you have dual citizenship or do you go on visas or? Visas only, mm-hmm. yeah. Do you ever have any access issues um, photographing the children in these camp- on the summer camps, things like that? If I tried again, maybe. Oh, um, really? Because it's been published and it's out there more now. Oh, um, okay. At the time, I think what happened was, this is my own take on it, I could be wrong, but I went to Russia when I was a student in ICP, like I went during my spring break. I look very young, I am young, I was even younger back then. Um, <laughs> 
I was a student again. So when I approached these camps, I told them like, okay, I'm an American, I speak Russian, I'm a student doing a project. And I think they kind of took me like, okay, cute, this young girl is working on a student project. That's adorable. Like she can take <laughs> some pictures. It's also not a very common subject to photograph. I think they had right. not any press inquiry. No it's great national so secrets here, right? We're just yeah, like come to our, our youth camp, that's fine. Right. We can take pictures of them, you know, with a fake gun, BB gun doing things. Mm -hmm. I mean, no one really cared. I mean, I did have some rejections. I had to call a lot of camps to explain what I was doing. It's not very common to do these kinds of projects in Russia at the time, at least. So it did have some hesitation and pushback, but I think I had it going in my advantage that no one took me seriously. That happens all the time, actually, mm -hmm. and I'm completely fine with that. <laughs> yeah. um, even still, that happens to me consistently. Oh, so interesting. I think, yeah, but I yeah. think I've learned to really work with that, and I think mm -hmm. it's, it's fine. I think it's um, if people, if, the, if they're feeling that you're a non-threat, there's normally a reason for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I, I was talking to Sarah Hilton mm. on the show, and we were talking about the way you approach people, how you gain trust, uh, how, you know, how your own sort of uh, projection affects the way people look in front of the camera. Right, right? completely. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. you're not an imposing presence when you're out there <laughs> photographing. I don't think I give off a threatening vibe by yeah. any means. No, especially <laughs> in these environments, they know I don't fit in. Like I'm, mm -hmm. I'm so not a sports person or military-esque or anything. I mm -hmm. mean, I don't, I don't even pretend to fit in there. Right. Uh, and I think I always end up in places like most photographers that you don't belong in mm -hmm. or don't have a real reason to be there. So I think the curiosity that people have towards me is more like, okay, uh, yeah. why do you find this interesting? Like, why do you find young people or these camps or especially being a foreigner in Russia and speaking Russian? Was, mm -hmm. I think that also worked to my advantage. But yeah, I think... I think being curious and being uh, soft-spoken, asking a lot of questions helps a ton. And just observing a lot. I mean, I'm there to learn, you know, not to mm -hmm. to make my points known necessarily. So that, that all helps. But yeah, there was actually more access issues in the States than in Russia. Yeah, I <laughs> which can I believe was, it. I was yeah. surprised by. But yeah, it was much harder to get access to my current project here than mm -hmm. in Russia. Which is what? The, is the, yeah, is that the, the personal work you're doing? Yeah, the, the project I've been doing for Haven? the past... No, oh. um, Haven was a student project at oh, ICP, actually. Okay. Um, the current project I'm doing is Beckon Us From Home. Oh, the Beckon Us From Home project. Yeah, oh, okay. that's been like a year and a half now. Mm -hmm. um, looking at a similar topic here in the States, so kids involved in patriotic education and programs, what we define as new Americanism or citizenship classes for kids, mm -hmm. things like this, that was incredibly hard to get access for. I mean, it was it was a lot harder than I imagined. Not so much legally wise, but you know, I think more so because our entire country mistrusts the media and has a very bitter taste in their mouth about it. Right. So coming from New York City, asking to photograph in these camps was like uh, completely not okay with most people. So what what were the locations you were going to for this? I I went to a lot of different places, but mm -hmm. I, I photographed a lot in the Midwest, actually, where I'm from. So a lot in Nebraska, in the Dakotas, um, down south, Arizona, Texas. Kentucky, Pennsylvania, in New York as well. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, all over the place. And they were all sort of uh, private military camps? and They, they ranged um, uh -huh. in what they were. They were, a lot of them were nonprofits. Oh, okay. So not government funded mostly. So kind of like paramilitary yes, training kind of exactly. ideas? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, some of them were more militaristic than others. Mm -hmm. Some only taught patriotic education to kids. And those ones I actually found to be a bit more interesting the other ones kind of mixed you know a lot of 
patriotic ideology with militaristic ideology. A lot of the programs introduce kids to the military as a way to hopefully get them to enlist Mm -hmm. or to show them what it would be like if they chose to. And a lot of the programs are kind of preparatory, like kids in Civil Air Patrol or JROTC who want to go on to the military after school. So it's kind of like a wide mix of, Mm -hmm. of programs. And but things I'd never heard of growing up here, so it was all very new to me. Right. Is, was that project then, that was a non-commission? That was something you started on your own? Or was that a commission? Oh, I haven't done anything commissioned right. really. Okay. I mean, I, I do assignment work, but <laughs> right. mostly just daily work. Okay, but you but had a grant. I had a grant. Yeah, after I got back from Russia, I, I had the idea to do the same project here in the States. Mm-hmm out of a lot of my frustration, as I mentioned before. And I applied for a grant with this idea. And Was that the Catchlight Catchlight grant? and Alexia Foundation grant mm-hmm. from last year. Yeah. Well, the Catchlight was, the fe- you were a fellow for the Catchlight yep. Foundation. Is yeah, that right? Yeah, correct. Okay. Yeah. And it was um, last year. Uh, and it was awarded, uh, you were a leader in visual storytelling, using <laughs> pho- photography to bring awareness to social issues, it's right? Great, it's a great <laughs> sentence, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> It's not on my business card, but yeah. Right. Oh, it should be. <laughs> and then you partner with a Catchlight, another Catchlight fellow or, or someone from Catchlight to collaborate yeah. on a project? Is that how no, it works? No, not exactly. Okay. Um, it was their inaugural year, so I was kind of like a test experiment mm-hmm. um, with Tomas von Hutriv and Brian Frank as well. We all had our own personal projects we proposed. They funded us and they partnered us with a media organization to help oh, us. Oh, okay. So I was partnered with the Center for Investigative Reporting. Mm. I don't normally work with reporters and writers, uh, so it was a very good opportunity to kind of learn from that atmosphere. Was it a writer? It was a writer I was partnering with, correct. And so how did that, so how did that sort of work? <laughs> it was a bit confusing. <laughs> As I said, we were the first test subject, so, uh-huh. um, but we, we met up a few times throughout the year to talk, to help fact check what I was writing and saying, to go into research. The writer came with me to some camps to help interview and in the end he wrote the piece and I provided the visuals okay so it was a very actually beneficial partnership I learned a lot and it's a whole different world than I'm used to I'm I'm not an investigative journalist I don't operate in that medium ever I don't even think that way Mm -hmm. so for me to be around that was incredibly helpful I learned a lot from it it's still not definitely my beat um, (laughs) but I think having a partnership that combines those who think more you know long-term project-oriented documentary work with people who are much more investigative uh, is a is a really good kind of partnership and I question why we don't do that more why we mm. don't intermix our mediums and right why you know photographers always meet up together and collaborate but we don't think of collaborating with writers often or poets or those who are in different kinds of beats than we are mm-hmm. so I think what I, I I benefited from that was mostly the collaboration and having that kind of influence was uh, fantastic yeah, and you, you see someone else's uh, process. It's yeah, always exactly. interesting, too, right? Yeah. Uh, because writing and photography aren't so different. No, uh, not at in all. In terms of building to something, right? Right. Yeah. Then there was the Alexia Foundation. Did you, were, were you working with both those grants at the same time? The same time, yeah. On the same work? Or the, the same work, Oh, correct. okay. Yeah. So how did that one come about? The Alexia yeah. Foundation? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the same in the same vein. I just applied. Mm-hmm. I applied for a lot of grants at the same time, so it was not the same proposal exactly, but it was the same project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I got those both actually in the same month. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> that's nice. <laughs> I mean, I was terrified though. I mean, I, I'm still. I would still call myself a very new photographer, but being one year out of school and applying for both those grants, which I think are quite yeah. prestigious or mm-hmm. generally given to people who are a lot higher up than me in terms of their. <laughs> 
years of experience. Right. Um, I was completely overwhelmed at first and so terrified mm-hmm. and did not expect that at all. And it's and then you have the kind of the weight of the responsibility. Now I now must you have to do something. Do something. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you have to. I have to live up to these grants. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, of course, I learned from that. It's that's not it's not that intense. I think people are happy if yeah. you pursue something and show something you in know, the end at all. You, you know, know? I, I've, I, I think what I've come to realize is once you're given the award, they've already, they've already sort of decided that this is what we wanted and what we're going to get is what we're going to get. Mm-hmm. We're pretty confident that whatever we get is going to be, you know, just fine. Yeah, you know exactly. I mean? Yeah, yeah. If only we believed in ourselves that way. Right. Like that's, that's <laughs> the issue. <laughs> oh, no. You know, it, it's, it's good that we... Uh, you know, we feel like we owe them something better, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> it is a good push, I will say that. Yeah. It, it did make me do a lot more than I might have done on my own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then um, just one other thing, I, I, I guess one other accolade. You are listed as a, a, an emerging photographer or um, uh, you're included in a gallery. Uh, Anastasia photo? Anastasia, that's yeah. it. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. As, a, as a, like a, um, a very promising emerging photographer, <laughs> I believe, is something like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I had my first exhibition with them this, this year, mm-hmm. actually. Uh, that's here in New York, right? Yes, it's yeah. not there anymore. So oh no! You, what you happened? It. <laughs> it's just—it's over. <laughs> oh, oh! I thought you meant the gallery um, was. Oh no, gone. the gallery's definitely oh, okay. there. No, I had a show. I had a show uh, in March mm-hmm. that lasted about, I think, a month and a half, two months. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but that yeah, this gallery I I signed on with maybe a year and a half ago mm-hmm. when I was photographing in Russia, and they were interested in you know maybe having a show or helping support the Russia work. But the more we talked, we thought it'd be better to do the U.S. work. Oh, okay. Um, so I waited for a year after my grant work was done and had an exhibition with them. Yeah. yeah. And so your first exhibition. First right. first solo exhibition ever. Yeah. yeah. And Which what was, was it also, like? I don't know. Um, <laughs> it was a great experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I'm still learning the intricacies of, of photography and how it's understood. I mean, it's, it's, some, it's similar to literature, you know, like you have poetry, then you have prose and long form. And I think our work can always be divided up into these kinds of forms. Mm-hmm. So seeing work that you've worked on forever, be not only understood, but looked at differently in terms of a gallery, like being on a wall or hanging there, or the edits you have, or the kinds of work that a gallery wants to show versus what I would show personally, um, was a very large learning experience for me. I really, I loved it, of course. I think every photographer wants to have things printed, not just, you know, swiped on Instagram. But it was a lot of work. And then all of a sudden it's over. And you think like, (laughs) yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. There's always a little bit of letdown with, I think, you know, from from doing this show and speaking to photographers who have published books and had solo exhibitions, there's always that, okay, that's over. Moving on to the next thing kind of feeling, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was, I think it, it helps a lot of conversations start. Like a lot of people came into the gallery from New York and had, mm-hmm. had time to experience the work in person. It was, that was a good experience. But yeah, like you said, all of a sudden it's over. And, <laughs> you know, the negative side is like, who, who buys documentary work? Who's going to buy my pictures of kids and put it on their wall? Like, not, not many. Not any no. people at all. I have, I, um, I have quite a few Mary Ellen Mark photographs. Mm-hmm. I used to work for Mary Ellen. Uh, and... You know, I have the the Dam family, you know, the family in the car, right? Mm-hmm. And I have um, uh, a, a photo of Tiny okay. uh, as well. And you know, I you know, and and I I hang them, I show them and everything. But there's always that. Um, well, do you put that in the dining room where you eat? The starving family? Go? Do you put it in the right to you? Yeah, that's uh, a dilemma. Uh, yeah, yeah. I have a a photograph uh, from a friend of mine from 
School of Visual Arts, uh, Jolt Kadar. Hi, Jolt. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's two women hugging, uh, grieving at a in a funeral home. Mm-hmm. And I never told my daughter like what the photo actually is. She's six, but the other day she looked at it and she said. There's something a little creepy about that <laughs> photograph because <laughs> it's Thank not clear you. where they are, but they're yeah. dressed in black and they're hugging and <laughs> so she got some sort of dark sense from it and all. So and it's a very niche market. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> in terms for yeah, actually using it in a permanent space in someone's wall. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that comes back to the gallery, too, because it's so expensive, you know, to print and frame and do all this and then um, not sell anything or mm-hmm. barely anything. You know, you can't really make money from it that way. Right. Do you do so, any of any darkroom work or... I know. I know. We had that conversation about Greg and, and not having shot eight by ten. Sorry, Greg. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I don't currently. I mm-hmm. used to when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was first getting into photography, I, I started with the dark room. That was kind of how I was introduced to everything. Oh, okay. Um, so I used to do a lot of that, and I definitely miss it. But I I don't anymore. I mean, you're all digital. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. Everything's so fast paced, and uh-huh. it's the medium I'm most used to. Yeah. What do you um, uh, What do you use? What kind of gear? This yeah, is the gear talk. Gear? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have a little music before this. It's the gear section. I don't actually do a gear section, but I'm just curious. <laughs> um, I'm quite boring when it comes to gear. I only use one lens, really. Uh-huh. Like, all my projects are shot with one lens yeah, only. Well, uh, I, I think most actual serious documentary photographers do just pick one lens. Yeah, yeah okay, that's yeah. nice to hear. Yeah. <laughs> um, I shoot with just the Canon 5D Mark III and yep. um, a 35 millimeter. That's, that's it. it. That's I it. haven't switched it one time for any of these projects. Yeah. No, 35 millimeter has mm-hmm. been my lens for 30 years. I, I actually only this year switched to a 40 millimeter wow. lens. How exciting. Super crazy of you. <laughs> <laughs> risk, risk taking. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I have not done that yet. Um, I might. I might look into it. It comes with age. <laughs> <laughs> no, I take it back. I used I used the fifty for oh, some okay. of the portraits. So oh, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes that's sense. there. <laughs> and then now, um, what are you working on? Uh the same the same project. St- continuing with the Beckon, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I think just different chapters of it. I'm mm-hmm. I'm more experimenting around with different kinds of subjects, um, but still looking at youth culture and politics here in the states. Right. Um, but using more writing. Like I love to write poetry, actually. Oh wow. Yeah. So I want to make a book, but have combination of poetry and pictures Mm -hmm. and I think I think because I operate so strictly in a documentary world it's interesting to kind of combine a little bit of fiction with the fact yeah mixing my own thoughts and emotions and poetry with you know real life stories is an interesting experiment but yeah so the same the same story but kind of expanding what I'm doing and trying to enter different levels of my own personal relationship to it I think I think there's a real interest now in that kind of documentary slash fantasy mm-hmm. idea. I had a uh, you know Amani Willett on the show and you know his book uh, The Disappearance of Joseph Plummer, where it were there's actually factual, you know, there are facts behind it. The story it's it's a house that's part of his family, but then there's this kind of mythology about who this mm-hmm. person was as well. So I, th- I love I love that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think the more and more I photograph, the less I'm interested in the literal. I think. Mm-hmm. perhaps it's natural for everybody but I mean in terms of literature like I'm I'm really interested in poetry and prose and I only read fiction oh, like wow. all growing up I, I'm obsessed I read non-stop mm-hmm. and I hardly read any non-fiction mm-hmm. um, but what I liked about fiction was you know the the complicated nature of good and bad you know every bad character is incredibly compelling and the good characters are so flawed and mm-hmm. things are much less black and white um, than I see a lot in you know journalism documentary world it, it tends to be sometimes just so 
this is how it is and here's the story and i just yeah. think things are so much more complicated than that and i understand why we have to have narratives like that but i think that um what i find lacking in my own work or the way that i publish is that i i don't want things to be so simple you know i want work i, I like work and i like photography that generates a lot of questions um not answers i mean the last thing i want to do is give answers with the picture well that 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 does um, go along with your experience of showing that work for the first time and having someone just say, well, look at this. So this is what Russia is. There are a bunch right. of kids running around in uniforms and guns and things, right? Right, right exactly. Yeah. Right, and I think, you know, things are obviously more complicated than that. And mm -hmm. I'm interested I'm interested in that complicated aspect. Like, I, I, want, I want nuanced reflections and questions. And mm -hmm. again, that's why I like literature. Like, that's exactly what it does. If, if a book didn't do that, you'd, you know, not be interested in it. You'd throw it away right away. Mm -hmm. So I think photography should beckon the same kinds of responses. I'm not sure where that tangent came from, but... Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, documentary and documentary. fiction. Documentary, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think they are in the same vein completely. Uh, yes, I mean, uh, hopefully, I don't know. I guess maybe it's optimistic, but... I, I think most people are, are pretty aware of how photographs can be interpreted differently yeah. at this point. And, and there, there is incredible subjective truth mm -hmm. to photography. I did um, a show with Apex Art and Rola Hayat, who mm -hmm. organized, curated a show called Light in Wartime. And, and it was, uh, you know, photographs that were, they weren't, you know, photojournalism style mm -hmm. photographs, right? Or document, even really documentary. They're very artistic interpretations of what war is. Mm. And the, the, basically the show was, what is truth in a photograph? I mean, how and objectively true can a, can a photograph even be, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and I mean, that's a conversation that's been going on forever. Forever and yeah. ever and ever. <laughs> I had Fred Richen as a teacher at ICP as uh -huh. well. And this that's like verbatim, his thought right. processes and... A lot of the questions he instilled as well, but that's, yeah, mm -hmm. the never-ending questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, have I uh, kind of missed anything that you're doing or working on or interested in? Because I, I, I work on mostly like really long-term mm -hmm. long, long projects. So this one for the Beckoness from Home, I, I'm only is, the yeah. second year into it, slash it's never-ending. Yeah. Um, I mean, besides that, I, I do like assignment work here when I'm when mm -hmm. I'm when I'm here um yeah are you living in is, New York now I'm or? living in New York yeah. yeah and I've kind of because of my personal work I've been branded as like the kids and gun person <laughs> which has like you know of course I'll take work when I can get it but right. the, ne the negative side is like okay. <laughs> that's kind of weird that yeah. that's my my beat but I, I oftentimes get called for you know stories or projects that are about youth culture and guns and right that's also an obsessive media topic so it's that's very yes. big topic right now completely yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and we have a a russian woman trying to infiltrate the nra apparently <laughs> yes i saw that article uh fred actually emailed me that day and was like really? both your stories are coming together in one story here <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's crazy <laughs> yeah and but you know um you know i something that uh, I've spoken with Kathy Shore quite a bit, uh, gun violence is not going away. And right. you, you can, you know, you can point to her book shot on almost any given day and say, oh, look, it's relevant. Right. right. I mean, so, yeah, that's unfortunate, but true. Yeah, completely. Yeah. So are you, um, are you also thinking uh, revisiting uh, the election process next go around? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, um, well, maybe you'll get a commission, but yeah. <laughs> I'll photograph something for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, right. you have to if you're here, kind of. It's essential. 
but I'm not sure what I'll do yet. Mm-hmm. Hopefully not the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, of course I'll, I'll photograph it, but it is exhausting to think that this is just repeated every four years mm-hmm. and the same things and same conversations and same debates right. and would how you, you counter that and how you add anything different is my own dilemma, I yeah. think, you know? Well, would you visit the DNC instead of the RNC? Maybe both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I don't generally photograph politics, so, right. um, you know, if I do, it's that kind of event only. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm normally not there. Yeah. But yeah, I think, of course, if I'm here in the States, I would love to. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, like you've said, you um, you received these two grants and mm-hmm. you were fairly young and you felt like there are people who, uh, you know, who have done so much more, maybe, or <laughs> things like that. And, all. and do you have, um, you know, any advice for people who might be coming up or uh, who might feel like... Um, you know, they haven't done enough or, you know, they, they don't deserve something or. Yeah, I would say, well, you never deserve anything. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think what I realize is that I'll always feel this way, even if this happened 10 years from now. I mean, mm-hmm. I think inadequacy is just inherently part of what we do. You, mm-hmm. you, you're not supported by anyone. It's kind of all on your own. Those feelings never really go away. And I think that they shouldn't necessarily go away. It's it's As good to feel that force. way. Yeah, it's good yeah. to feel that way, and it's it's good to stay centered and humble and to not think that you're the shit, you know. Yeah. Um. So I think at the time I thought those were like very negative feelings, but I, I think I recognize them as things. Hopefully that won't change. And when I see people respond not that way, I'm kind of like, really? I mean, do you think? <laughs> I think it's it's always undeserved. Mm-hmm. Um. But anyways, I I would just encourage people to to not not apply for things and to not not try it because you're young or because you don't have experience um i think everyone's doing something that's inherently important to them first and foremost i mean long-term work and personal work and photography comes from places of deep struggles and confusion and everything that i work on comes from my own past and my own questions um and ultimately we're just trying to answer our own questions at the end of the day and Mm. if that drives you then you should keep going with it and I, I just think that there's never a right time or a good time to do things. So do them when they're the hardest. That's kind of what I've learned. It's, it's never convenient to do this kind of work. It never makes sense financially or emotionally, <laughs> trying to have a normal life and do this and all of that. So to just to just try things and try and try, even if you keep failing um, or don't get accepted to grants or funding. I, I know it's not so common, but just to keep trying. You ha- If you have to, you have to. But I think the advice I got from ICP and my teachers was the most beneficial, uh, just to not wait for any kind of opportunity, to not get stuck into old models of thinking, and to really just do whatever the hell that you want to do, especially when it comes to your own work. Hmm. I mean, I know it's important to to freelance and to do assignments and to you know also have a place in the industry and in your career, but if you're not working on personal work, I... I think that's sad. <laughs> I mean, personally, whenever I'm not photographing for myself, I get into you know depression or I get into states of anxiety. Like, what am I really doing this for then? I, I think it's always has to be more than a job for you. Um, so it's important, even if you know, you're busy or trying to do more career-oriented things, to, to always have personal work that you're doing on the side. Yeah. If, if not, you know, more than side work if you can. Right. Um, but that was a, a mouthful of advice. But That was great. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, no, it's great. What are your so now? What does your family think of what you do now that you're <laughs> a, a little bit more established? No, they they love it. Yeah, yeah, they love it. I mean, I think we disagree politically, and some of the things I do, they're like you know pushing me or testing what I think. Uh-huh. But yeah, of course, they're they're very proud. They're happy that I I took this risk and came here and tried it. 
They're very supportive still. Yeah. I think like, you know, sometimes I send my family the photos and work I'm doing first. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, because they think so opposite of me. Uh, they're kind of like my radar to gauge what people think in the public. Yeah, no, that's really <laughs> if that interesting. Makes sense. Right. So no, I'll send it to right. them and be like, what do you think of this? Like, how do you respond to this? Is this mm-hmm. Does this represent, you know, people that you know? Or do you feel like I'm being Right. Am you know, I being one-sided. critical? Am I being, yeah. right, am I uh, creating caricatures? Yeah, right? or w- yeah. what kind of feelings does this prompt in you? Or, yeah, exactly, because they, you know, my parents would never read the New York Times. They're mm-hmm. like, they just are so different than I am <laughs> in terms of their politics and what they believe in. Right. So they're an interesting gauge. And I appreciate that we can still have that kind of banter and conversation. That's also a, a really great way of in keeping them in your life in a way, right? Yeah. Like including them in, in what you're doing and mm-hmm. the a way of having a conversation that isn't about disagreeing. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. I'm romanticizing it. Like, it's not always that simple. Sure. <laughs> we, we argue a lot still, or we used to. And sometimes I, I don't do what I said, but I'm speaking ideally, that's what we, we definitely that's have that kind of conversation. Yeah, yeah. That, that is the goal. And I think it's very important because one thing also is, I, I think every photographer will say this, but... We generally produce work and content that's for other photographers or for those that think like us. And that's exhaustive and meaningless in so many ways. So if I can't reach my family with my photographs, then I will not reach anyone who doesn't think just like me. Right. So it's kind of like a good, you know, experiment to see, like, is this starting conversations? Is it critical while still being empathetic? I mean, can you balance those two things, Mm -hmm. especially in a country that is so divided in terms of how it thinks and approaches life? Absolutely. Yeah, they're a very good testing ground for that for me. (laughs) (laughs) That's nice. Mm -hmm. But before I, when I applied to ICP, my my dad sent me so many articles about how the worst career to enter into at this point of life is journalism. How it's like the least paid and it's like a dying industry and especially (laughs) photography. And it's like, okay, thanks so much. I'm still going to try. Oh, I know. I mean, my poor students, I, um, my, uh, my college decided to put up a, um, to link to a site that gives you your job potentials for your career picks, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, and so for photography, uh, it was, all you need is a high school degree and you can become like a target portrait photographer or something like that. <laughs> Perfect. It's like, yeah, it's like, oh my like, God. Accurate. <laughs> what are we doing here That's right, right. All right, I'm out of here. <laughs> That's incredible. Yes, yeah, it was uh, exciting, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, well, thank you very much. Yeah, thank yeah. you What so do you much. have uh, planned for the rest of the day? I have classes. Where? I am taking language classes here in... Oh, yeah, wow. In New York, yeah. I study language at a place called ABC Languages. Are you still studying Russian? Or are you studying other German languages? German and French. Wow. Yeah. That's great. Yes, never stop studying, kids. No. Yeah, there you go. There's more advice. <laughs> Even if you drop out of school, That's right. keep going. <laughs> stop at the eighth grade, take a break, do something different, <laughs> and come yeah, back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, think, I think for me, having hobbies outside of photography helps keep me like sane, you yeah. know, or else I might lose my mind. So yeah, still language is very important to me. But... But those are very, those can be very important tools yeah, as well. Yeah, incredibly so. Yeah, yeah it, it yeah. all, yes, okay, I, I admit photography is the center of my life. It all right. relates to photography. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, those languages are very useful no matter what. But yeah, yeah I study French and German here in, in New York. Nice. So I have German <laughs> class tonight. And then when do you, uh, when's your next sort of trip uh, to keep working on your project? Are you in working the, in New York now or are you? No, yeah. not so much. Most of this project is actually based in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. So I'm going back in August to keep photographing. 
Great. After having a small hiatus, I had like two months off from it. Nice. Well, yeah. I'm glad uh, you could squeeze this in. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate right. it. All right. Thanks again. Bye, everyone. Um,